coming together from across the United States. The real issues you don't hear about elsewhere. Focusing on what matters to you and your neighbors. Welcome to Resist Bot Live. Hello, wherever you are. It is Sunday, March 20th, 2022, the Equinox. I'm your moderator, Melanie Dion, and this is Resist Bot Live. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. I just want to remind you that we are here every Sunday at 1 p.m. on YouTube. If you want to subscribe to our YouTube channel, you can just go to rs.bot.video and that'll take you straight to our YouTube and you can hit subscribe. If you want to join, if you're listening from podcast land, you can join us in the conversation by using the hashtag LiveBotters. If you're live, you can comment in our YouTube comment section. We would love to hear them and share them. This week, we're talking about student loan debt. Women own about two-thirds of the student loan debt in this country, $929 billion. And when we start talking about student loan debt, the people most disproportionately disadvantaged are marginalized communities, women, people of color. So we want to talk about what erasing the student loan debt looks like, who benefits, and what some of the obstacles are. So I'm going to start bringing up our panelists. First, Athena. Hi, Athena. Hey, Mel. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Going great. How are you? Good. Hanging in there, getting through Women's Month and trying to keep your head above water and stay positive. <laughs> absolutely. And I figured we couldn't when we start talking about Women's Month. We absolutely have to talk about these student loan debt disparities because they are crushing us. 100%. So thanks for bringing up this topic. I know this directly affects me. I have student loans from my undergrad. I know that we're probably going to have some listeners who hopefully will chime in with any comments and feedback in the discussion. We are on YouTube, so go ahead and plug into the conversation. Yes, yes, yes. We also have Susan Stutz. Hi, Susan. Hi, ladies. Like you, Athena, this is something that affects me too. I've got student loans from my bachelor's degree. So, and the payments can be hefty, really hefty. Sometimes bigger than your mortgage. Sometimes. For some people, bigger than a mortgage. Certainly. And last but not least, we have Christine Liu. Hi, Christine. Hi, everyone. So I feel like I just paid off my student loans finally some years ago. And then all of a sudden, I'm the mom of a kid going to college in two years. So it, this is very relevant, even though I think, you know, hey, I paid mine off. It isn't. It's very relevant to all of us parents out there. Right. Because it's there's the matter of do we want things to just continue to be the same, especially what loans look like for us, especially if you went to school in the 90s, like I, I would have been an undergrad late 90s, early 2000s. Those those aren't the same loans <laughs> that we're looking at now. It's nothing like the same money. So when we talk about what the obstacles are into getting student loan debt under control, forgiven, whatever, and we're talking to people who graduated in 1986, 1995, they're not taking into account the reality. Those opposers are not taking to, to, into account the reality of what tuition looks like right now. And I think you're right. You can't have a conversation about student loans without really examining the rising cost of higher education in this country. It's getting to be insane and coupled with this predatory for-profit university structures that are getting momentum in the U.S. now, too. It's it's a really 
dismal situation that I'm sorry your son is going to be facing very soon, Christine. We'll talk about this a little bit, but this idea that Pell Grants are continuing to be on the chopping block and Pell Grants are absolutely critical in making college affordable for such a large population of this country that sort of like, where do you even start with a conversation like this? I went to a moderately affordable, I went to UNO, and which was moderately affordable when it comes down to universities. I think of how much my Pell Grant didn't cover for me who was taking a nine hour course load and and had my own place. And I can't imagine what that looks like now for someone who has to live on campus, heaven forbid, if you dare to go out of state for school now. The average cost of higher education rose 103% since 1987. The median household income, 14%. Well, there's also this understanding too, that in order to be competitive in the employment market, that you have to have higher education. I, I remember years ago when I was in high school, you needed an AA and that was sufficient. You had to have just some college and now you have to have at minimum a bachelor's degree to be competitive. The average person just can't afford that. Without student loans, they can't do it. When we look at also the economic impact of what happens with the student loan debt, we have these oppressive loans. And what does that do to the economy? It stifles the economy as far as stifling just business growth because you have to pay these exorbitant loans. I was reading one article where a woman's loan payment was $1,500, which is more than my parents' mortgage. And they had a fairly large house in, in New Orleans. So when I start thinking about that, a $1,500 mortgage payment, and then when we look at what they're paying for people with bachelor's degrees, and that's about $32,000 maybe, it's not preparing you to live on your own. It's not preparing you to be able to take care of yourself. By default, the system is kind of stacking us where we have to have a roommate or we have to live with our parents. As much as there were write-ups about who's not starting families, it's not affordable to start a family, especially when before anyone has eaten or paid rent or anything else, they have $1,500 to pay to the government. Well, also the average American, I believe out there, is unable to absorb a $400 financial shock right? You, your car breaks down, something happens. So on top of that, your student loans, you know? Mm -hmm. And there is nothing. I am someone who I was a single parent. I got in default on my student loans. There's nothing more gut-wrenching than getting a garnishment notice. I have these two kids that I'm raising by myself in, and I was living in Rockville, Maryland, which is insanely expensive. I had, before I touched anything, I had about $300 coming out of my check per pay period. This is the reality. As a matter of fact, 50, and I didn't finish. So I was on kind of the easy end because I don't have the full four years. 57% of Black women have admitted that they are struggling with paying their student loans post-graduation. That's not even counting women like me who didn't finish. I want to get a little bit into your blog post for this week, Susan, because you really did a great job. It's called The Crushing Weight of the Mortarboard. The point that I appreciated that you brought out was that we're dealing, even though women are typically paying slightly more than men when it comes down to student loans or the type of the student loans that we have to take in, even though that amount is small, when you factor in the wage gap, mm -hmm. it becomes much larger. All right. You, we're already borrowing more and we have to work harder for those degrees and make sure that we get them done so that we can compete in the marketplace. And then once we do get in the marketplace, we're making at least 19, 17 to 19 percent less than our male counterparts who are doing the same work that we are. We're having to borrow more money and then we don't make the money that we would if we had, you know, a different gender. I think it just 
It's the shovel that buries us in the hole to some extent. Again, you're just trying to, you know, support your family, take care of your family. Our producer, our lady on the boards, Angel, she mentioned that her student loans are like somewhere around 30000 and how her friends and her brother, they consider that cheap. And that's when we look at what a higher education is costing now, it's a drop in the bucket for a lot of people. I can easily think of 10 friends that I have right now who have either have or are just coming from under $100,000 or more in student loan debt. So I want to talk a bit about the Congress people who are, you know, against student loan debt or where they stand. Because uh, CNBC, they reached out to everyone in Congress last year and wanted to just know where they stood and also if they had student loans and if those student loans were paid off. So of everyone in Congress, we're talking over 500 people, 66 people bothered to respond. Five of them were still, are still paying off student loans right now. Three women, two men, all people of color. So that gives you an idea of who is bearing the weight as usual when we're dealing with these oppressive financial structures and how unequal things are. So one of the respondents was Scott Perry, who is a Pennsylvania Republican, and he stuck out in my in my mind because he made sure to make it known that he worked his way through college, which is amazingly admirable. We all love a good bootstrap story, rah, 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 whatever. Scott Perry was in the military. Scott Perry was in the military working a full-time job with no children at Penn State in the 80s. There was actually an audit in 2019. Eugene DePasquale, one of the auditors, called it outrageous. The tuition hike was 535% in 30 years. In 1986, tuition was $2,760, which is more or less what Scott Perry would have been pay paying working full-time and probably not living in a dorm. 2017, $17,514. That's not including any out-of-state fees or anything like that. So we're talking 535%. Outside of the, the expense, Scott Perry's experience is not indicative of the typical college experience. Most students are not able to work their way through college and pay for tuition. Even if a student did work 40 hours a week at what the minimum wage is, that's less than $16,000. I don't want to say wrong math. That wouldn't even cover a year of tuition. That would not even cover. He's basing this on a model that doesn't exist for anyone currently. And he felt the need of all the things that he could have pointed out. He wanted to point that out. Okay, great army man with a full-time job. That's not everyone's experience. That's not anyone's experience now. And the absolute lack of care that goes into this, it's very evident we're not dealing with people of means. This is something that affects primarily women, people of color. And so there's not exactly a push to do anything different. I think you're touching upon an issue, Mel, that we're just completely myopic in our view of like, this is what I experience. And this is obviously what everybody is experiencing, or I was able to bootstrap myself out of debt. I was able to work through college. So other people are doing it because they're lazy, even not to pick on Kim Kardashian right now, but even her recent statements about like, get the F to work with the assumption that people are not actually trying to work right now. It's just mind boggling to me that like, if we were to strip away the resources, the support structures, housing that they might've had in place because of family or whatever it is that we can't afford, we can't even accept the reality that that might not be the case for other people. It just continues to be a challenge, which again, goes back to this idea that Congress needs to look like us. Like the number, the people who are representing us need to look like 
the American public. And they don't. They are oftentimes coming from legacy families that have been involved in politics or God forbid we put life like lifetime limits or restrictions in terms of terms because they're so distant now from the reality of, I think, what a lot of people are experiencing now that it's clearly becoming increasingly detrimental to our legislation. I don't know if you saw, but about a week ago, uh, Bloomberg Opinion had an article that's told us how inflation stings most if you earn less than $300,000. So if you're in 95% of America, inflation (laughs) is terrible for you and you need to suck it up. I get bothered by these bootstrap statements. And most of us, if we were working while in college, it was working to put food on the table and keep the roof over our head. Making these statements as though, like you said, Mel, that the circumstances are the same for everyone and not taking into consideration the barriers to education for people of color, getting into the schools that they want, being able to afford it. So they have to take the loans out. I couldn't do college without the loan. Uh, There was no way. And just making it sound as though the rest of us are just lazy and that if we would just work harder, then our life would be completely different and we would have all the riches that we believe that we're entitled to. And that just lights me up more than anything. The bootstrap theory, it lights me on fire. When you hear people say that and you apply it to as a parent, we don't say, well, I struggled, so I want my kid to struggle the same way I struggled. It's accepted right? That we want a better life for our children than we had ourselves. And so if you kind of take that 10,000 foot view, and if we as responsible citizens of our society who care about the next generation, regardless of if we have kids or not, why would I apply a thinking, well, well, I had to struggle. And so therefore, this next generation that I see visibly struggling on a daily basis that does not have to go through that I did not have to go through the things that they had to go through. I'd like them to also struggle too. Like, where is the logic in that? So that's, I just had to wrap part. It just never makes sense to me. No, there's a bitterness there that's counterproductive to, to just a thriving society. When you say, or you took out those loans. Yes, you took out those loans, but also these are, they're exempt from bankruptcy protection. And how easy is it to get these loans? Kids are getting loans for education in ways that they would never be able to get home loans. There's something upside down about that. I have cousins in the state of Texas and Houston, and this is the discussion that they're having now. They're trying to figure out where to get money to go to college and which institutions to go to, large state, private liberal arts. All of those are obviously different experiences and a lot will depend on what they'd like to do in their life. But the ease with which to get a private loan, they're predatory, right? They make it so accessible and say, well, we're not going to charge you interest during your grant, during your education, which is fine. That's pretty standard practice. There are no guarantees that's not going to jump to a 15% interest rate upon graduation. And it's that kind of evil might be a strong word, but maliciousness. I think that these are kids and their parents, depending, again, back to this idea of marginalized and people of color who might not have gotten their grad degrees in the United States are completely unfamiliar and aware of what the repercussions would be to sign some of these private to sign off on some of these private loans. So I think there's also a discussion that needs to happen about this fiscal awareness and solvency and preparing this next generation of like what that promissory note, it looks like 16,000 now, but it's effectively gonna be 70,000 by the time you pay it off. And just making that clearer, like when you're signing all of this away. There's no adequate counseling on the front end of getting these loans and what these loans are gonna look like. There's not sufficient counseling that when, we, when you 
tell someone what career path you're on, you have a very honest conversation about this is what this occupation pays. This is what this degree is going to cost. That conversation is not happening. And it's not necessary. It's not just that, you know, you're doing something for the money. A lot of people do things for love and that's great. There is nothing wrong with that. But when educational institutions We shouldn't have to say, hey, inform your students. This should be something that's baked in the cake. If the function of college is to prepare someone as a well-rounded individual, not giving them that type of financial counseling, that type of information, it's a failure. I remember when I would every semester, you know, you would go in and you have to like reapply or do follow the steps, whatever, with your college to be able to get the student loan money. And, you know, your classes are... Altogether, your classes are say twenty five hundred, but your student loan is giving you five or six thousand dollars. And when I was in school and when I was growing up, nobody told me how to do a budget. Nobody told me how to manage money. And so when you're young and you're looking at receiving, oh well, hey, you know, I don't have to pay it back for a while. So what's a few extra thousand dollars? And not really having any idea of how that actually looks to Athena's point. Your $16,000 loan becomes 70 grand by the time it's all paid up. And schools don't teach that anymore. And my parents didn't teach me that. And I was well into adulthood before I learned how to really take care of a budget and understand the financial consequences. I saw my dad's final student loan payment and like the total was something like the total was, I want to say (laughs) $1,500. So it's just, and I'm saying that to say, how do you even prepare your kid for something like that when your loan was $1,500? But Athena, I know that there's, you have some insight on like public service forgiveness and, and that type of thing. And I would, I know there are people who would definitely benefit from that. So can you speak on that a bit, please? Sure. Just quickly, I wanted to do a shout out to Paula who commented that, you know, we got to keep in mind that if a woman dares to dream that she could or have more in her life, there's also a sort of double standard that like, how dare you put yourself first before family or children? So you're absolutely right, Paula, that, yeah, that's another added level of madness that women taking out student loans take into consideration. But yes, thanks, Mel. So some of you might know I was a Peace Corps volunteer and I work in higher education now and international education. And I've been working at a nonprofit that has fantastic benefits and they actually have a student loan forgiveness program through my job. So I they reimburse me for the minimum amounts of my student loan payments every month. But because of the public service loan forgiveness program, some of you might have heard about this. It was instated during the Obama administration, but it only really kind of went live under Trump. And then there was this big New York Times article about the broken promise of loan forgiveness because under DeVos, my understanding again is that under DeVos, no one was actually able to be eligible for it. There were always blocks, hurdles that just people cannot overcome to demonstrate that, yes, I have worked in the field of public service for a minimum of 10 years. I have made 120 payments towards my student loans. It should be forgiven after dedicating your work and life to the public service, nonprofit, government, anything like that role. But nobody was getting it. There's like very few people were actually eligible for whatever rigmarole obstacles they put in place to do it. 
Well, they've revisited that program, they've made adjustments to it, and it's reopened. And most recently during this pandemic, uh, they've done a sort of a temporary and even larger expansive understanding of who would be eligible for this loan forgiveness. I submitted my paperwork. This is like the second or third time I've submitted my paperwork. And I finally got a letter saying that it looks like you might you might meet this these requirements. So we're going to transfer your loans to federal agency to make sure that I've made those 120 payments. Like granted, I've been this is an undergraduate loan, so I've been out of undergraduate for over 20 years. So it's this idea that yes, I've been paying my minimum of 10 amounts. Yes, I've been in the field of public service for over 10 years. So hopefully we'll get some good news there. That expiration of that expanded definition of public service expires on October 31st, 2022. So if anybody's listening to this and has worked at .org, possibly some EDUs, as well as in government agencies, definitely look into the public service loan forgiveness program or the temporary public service loan forgiveness program to see if you can get out from the burden of your loan. And yes, after 20 years of paying it, I have definitely paid more than my principal of what I originally borrowed. In fact, it's even looking like, you know, the remainder is still even more than that. But I would encourage everybody to not be dismayed. You got to get those applications in and the door is open. So hopefully that'll work out for some folks. That's another one of the things that that face women. We, on average, even when we make loan payments, we still take longer to pay our loans back because of the hardships that come with that. And that's without even factoring in being in a global pandemic. That's without, that's before you deal with any of that. That's just kind of what we have to deal with now. Another relief for student loan payments are Pell Grants. Pell Grants have been slowly getting stripped. I remember, I think there was one in 2004, another in 2011. In 2019, the previous administration, they proposed a budget that would have tapped into the Pell Grant surplus which was at about $8 billion. That proposal was going to not only wipe completely out, wipe out the sur- surplus, but also put Pell Grant, put Pell Grants a billion dollars into the hole. Some of the proponents of student loan debt relief are proponents of doubling Pell Grants, like reinstating or doubling the amount that was that people were previously qualifying for. One of the other issues though, even when we deal with forgiveness, even if we deal with increasing Pell Grants, that does not, none of this even touches how exorbitantly expensive tuition is. That doesn't, because even if they, even if there's a forgiveness of the $1.6 trillion student loan debt, of which where women own $9.29 billion of that, it won't a- address what happens going forward with tuition. There are some institutions that have started lowering their tuition or slowing down inflation, but that's still, we're already on average, we're already at 100, 103% increase. And then we can look at institutions like Penn State that we mentioned earlier that just blow 103 out the water and we're at 535%. When I was doing research for my article, you know, I found some information on what tuition looks like. And depending on what kind of school you go to, whether it's a public university or a private university, you're looking at anywhere from 11000 to $44,000 per year. And if you think about the fact that you have to have at least a bachelor's degree to be competitive in getting employment, you're looking at upwards, you could be looking at upwards of $175,000 for your four-year degree 
depending upon where you go to school. That is just outrageous when you think, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Mel, the salaries when you come out of school and how many people are actually able to take that degree and translate it into the job that the degree is meant for. I remember when I had to make the transition from New Orleans to working working in, in D.C., there was, of course, a huge salary difference because of the cost of living. But I had legal, I was the legal secretary. I had legal secretarial experience. I was good at my job, but I did not have a degree. So there were other younger millennial secretaries there who, you know, they had a chat about what they were making. If I had paid, if I had gotten a degree and an employer had offered that, I'm not inciting a riot, but I would probably have considered committing high crimes because it's insulting what they are paying. And, and I'm saying this as somebody who went through a time where you could get a decent job and it was experience or degree. We were phasing out of that, but that was still something that I was I was able to take advantage of. Not only do these these younger people and younger women not have these options, the pay is is beyond insulting. It's not a pay where, that you can live on. We've shouted into the void on all of it, all of this, right? But we have petitions because the people of the of the over 500 people that that were asked, just a reminder that all of them work for you. I just cannot stress that enough. These people work for you. So when they don't answer questions about important things that are affecting people who make under $300,000, aka 95% of America, we can write to them and that like that make it known that these are the things that concern us and they and you have to decide have they met those have they answered those letters have they addressed those concerns adequately. So Susan, can you share with us the petitions that we currently have right now? Sure. The first one that we're going to look at, or I'm going to look at and tell you about, is one for student loan forgiveness for frontline workers. And frontline workers have saved this country in the last two years. They're the one group of people who haven't been able to say, you know what, I'm going to work from home. I'm not coming to the office. They didn't get that choice. So, you know, student loans, the burdens that they're carrying in just their day-to-day jobs, and then the student loans that they have to become the medical professionals that they are. And so the first one that we have is entitled Student Loan Forgiveness for Frontline Healthcare Workers. And the call sign for that petition is P as in Peter, M as in Mary, B as in Bot, O as in Octopus, C as in Candy, U as in Umbrella. And if you text that call sign to 50409, you will be able to send this particular petition to all of Congress. You can also send it to the president if you care to do so. And then you can invite your friends and family to sign on to it as well. That one is student loan forgiveness for frontline healthcare workers. And I think that that's an important one. They're all important, but that was a connection that I had not thought of before. So the next one is POTUS cancel 50K in student loan debt now. And that one is calling on President Biden to exercise his executive privilege and cancel at least 50,000, the first 50,000 of student loan debt. And they're asking him to do that before the payments start back up at the beginning of May. And the call sign for this petition is P is in Peter, E is in Edward, H is in Holiday, M is in Mary, G is in Good, F is in Frank. And again, text that call sign to 50409 and you can sign on to that one. And we have another one for turn bankruptcy protections to student loans. And anybody familiar with bankruptcy, you can eliminate just about any kind of debt when you file for bankruptcy, depending upon what kind you file for. 
But one of the things you can't do is get rid of your student loan debt. And this petition is asking for Congress to put that back in play when we're talking about bankruptcy. And it's return bankruptcy protections to student loans. And that one's got almost 1,400 signers. So that one is chugging along really well. And the call sign for it is P as in Peter, S as in Susan, Q as in quick, V as in victory, F as in Frank, Q as in quick. And again, that is to add bankruptcy protection back to student loans. And then we have another one. And this is an open letter to the president, again, asking him to flex his executive muscle, which he can do. And he also campaigned on dealing with the student loan crisis. So some of the petitions that we have out there are asking him to uphold that campaign promise and make good on it. And so this one is cancel student loans against it's to President Biden. And the call sign for that is P is in Peter, Q is in quick, I is in ice cream, K is in kitchen, B is in boy, Y is in yo-yo. And again, you can send that one to 50409. The last one that I'm going to share with you is continue student loan repayment freeze and cancel student debt. So this petition is not only asking for the cancellation of a port, at least a portion of student debt, but also to continue the payment moratorium. Um, the we're Payments are supposed to start back up again. I believe it's May 1st. And so this particular petition is asking the president to extend that again. And so and also reminding him that he campaigned on a promise to deal with student debt, student loan debt. So the call sign for this one is P as in Peter, U as in umbrella, S as in Susan, C as in cat, N as in Nancy, F as in Frank. Again, you can send that to 50409. And if none of these petitions say what you want to say, then by all means, you can create your own by sending your letter to your legislator, to the president, to Congress. And then once you're done with that letter, you follow the prompts and you can turn it into a petition, which again, you can send out into the world and you can invite your friends and family to sign on as well. And so that's what we've got for petitions this week. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Susan. It's just a reminder, like you, we need to reach out to folks in Congress just to remind them aid is great, but you absolutely need to address the issues of Americans and student loan debt is a huge one. So we have some other petitions that are that we're looking at because while this is a huge issue, this is not the only issue that's going on. And so I had a petition that my eye has been on for a while, especially as we're still trying to make progress on the Violence Against Women Act. And my petition, the petition that I'm interested, most interested in, the call sign is P is in Paul, I N is in Nancy, W is in water, H is in Harry, U is in umbrella. This is by Jessica, and the title is POTUS, Use Executive Orders to Close the Boyfriend Loophole. Federal law, if you are a domestic abuser, you cannot have a gun if you're married to, live with, or situated with your victim. However, there are gun lobbyists who are arguing that does not count for people who are not married. When we think about our society, people are, it's a very huge loophole when we think about how many people are abused by partners who they're not married to. So this is something that is urgent for women. We are seeing an uptick in, in, in violence and it needs to be addressed in gun violence in particular against domestic partners. So this is something that is very near and dear to my heart. And so it, and so far we already have 272 signers. We'd like to get it to 500. So again, you can text P as in Paul, I 
N is in Nancy, W is in water, H is in Harry, U is in umbrella. Text that to 50409 if you would like to pass that petition along and let your representatives know how you feel about violence against women. Did any of you have some petitions that you wanted to put on the radar that you really think need a little bit of steam? Yeah, no, I was just going to mention one I think that we all can agree on. And I came across this one called Oil Companies Must Pay a Windfall Tax Pass Legislation Now. I was also very angry at hearing that oil prices actually dropped the last couple of weeks, but we're not feeling it at the pump. And talking about being on topic of a conversation about putting more money into the pockets of working class Americans, they're paying for it at the gas pump. Those prices aren't coming down. So as someone who drives electric, you wouldn't think this relates to me. But like, again, going back to my, I want everybody to win, lower those gas prices or tax these companies who then turn around and they report to their shareholders record profits. It just does not make sense. So that call sign was P-T-T-H-H-W. That was mine. (laughs) Thanks, Christine. Susan, did you? Yes, I've got one. And ResistBot community, you'll remember we talked about immigration and very early, it was one of our first shows or early on in our shows. And one of the things that we talked about with immigration was Title 42, which is a policy that was established under the previous administration. And it calls for people to be rejected or removed because of COVID considerations. That is just wrong. It's wrong on so many levels. You know, people are coming here because they're looking for a better life. They're fleeing dangerous situations and they're coming to this country because we are supposed to be the land of milk and honey. And, you know, they get here and they're denied for one reason or another. This petition is entitled End Title 42. And the call sign is P as in Peter, Z as in Zebra, P as in Peter, G as in Good, D as in David, Q as in Quick. Yeah, that's a good one, especially when we look at how there's a clear disparity with how seekers are treated on the base of race, where they're coming from, that type of thing. So thanks so much, Susan. Athena, did you have one you wanted to share with the class? I did. I wanted to add one more thing, though, to Christine's point earlier. In March of 2008, this is a tweet from Bernie Sanders, a barrel of oil was $104 and the price of gas was $323. Today, a barrel of oil is $95 and yet the price of gas is $432. So this is ridiculous. This is really price gouging. This is not how functioning civil society should work. And this, our government needs to step in and curb this, this like free reign that these corporations are having into into you know manipulating these prices and giving people an even harder time during this pandemic so thank you for bringing that up susan thank you obviously ending title 42 is also ridiculous this is when you look back at some of these campaign promises we were told a lot of these things would be addressed student loan the the return of asylum as a human right which it is and yet there seems to that pedal seems to have been let off a little bit um, I would like to continue the conversation with this idea of what's going on at the U.S. Postal Service. The elections are coming up. We need to have the Postal Service sorted out before it becomes an issue in terms of voting ballots and mail-in ballots and all of that. And DeJoy is still leading that shop for whatever reason. So why is he still there? Anyways. Isn't that the reminder that even if you more or less like the person or you more more align with the person who's in office, that does not mean that 
you don't have to kind of sometimes nudge them to do their job. Or, and, and, and I don't just mean the president, that whether that's the president, your representative, whatever. This isn't just a, I don't like the person work. This is a, what is right for the betterment of society activity. Getting rid of the joy absolutely needs to happen. It's overdue. We're literally running out of time before who knows what happens at midterms and the subsequent 24 election. But that said, something that will last much longer than that is this idea that the postal fleet, we're enacting, we're, we're in the plans to purchase 148,000 mail delivery trucks for the U.S. Postal Service. And Joy is using non-union workers to build these trucks. First of all, that's problematic. The U.S. Postal Service should try to support unionized labor and facilities and manufacturing whenever possible. That said, the plans were in place to make that a green postal fleet. Everything that's happening in Ukraine, all these gas prices and things like that, this is all a symptom of our inability to actually address the climate crisis. And we think, what is one appointment? How does that matter? DeJoy is effectively going to be able to commit the U.S. Postal Service to continue to have a fleet of gas-run cars and mail delivery. And that's just a continuation of these policies that were in place to delegitimize as well as to ineffectively run the Postal Service, shutting it down and forcing our hands to likely turn to more private industries for the delivery of our mail. So all of the all of this is tied. All of these are linked. The petition that I would specifically like to bring up is to get your legislators to sign on to H.R. 7018, the Green Postal Fleet Act now. So I'll be dropping that chat in the link. But the petition call sign for that is P as in Paul, U as in United, V as in Victor, Q as in Quiet, I as in Igor, V as in Victor. So sign on to that. Put the pressure on that these non-union built trucks that they're trying to buy out with an $11.3 billion contract, they're going to have the efficiency of a Hummer. So just think of everybody's mail being delivered effectively by a Hummer. We are not moving forward. We are completely moving backwards. And again, this is just one more nail in the coffin of the USPS system, trying to make it continually inefficient and break it down. Yeah. And at a time where gas is out of control. So no, it's, it's, absolutely imperative that we address that. That's it for our show today. Thank you so much for joining us. First, Christine, where can they find you? On the Twitters, ranting as usual. So (laughs) I'll see you in my timeline. (laughs) Thanks, Christine. Susan? I'm not doing a lot this week except starting a new job, unfortunately. But again, you know, hey, guys, we're here to support everything that you need to say to your representatives. So text resist to 50409 and just let your thumbs do the talking on any issue that's important to you, whether we've mentioned it here or not. We're here to support that. And just a reminder to read Susan's article, The Crushing Weight of the Mortarboard. And last but not least, Athena. Hi, everybody. Keep the faith. Keep the fight up. I think it's easy to be just completely overwhelmed by the crushing weight of gas prices and war. You know, you have a voice. Use it. Make sure that you are registered to vote. Get ready. Get your plan in place already for this fall. And find the one thing that you support, the one thing you cannot stomach and just throw your energy and support behind it. Whether that's climate change, whether that's getting women elected, whether that's anything from, you know, taxing the rich but whatever it is, use your time, use your voice, and use your energy to try to advance progressive policies and make it an even playing field for everybody involved. So thanks. And see you next time. 
Thanks, Athena. And thank you for joining us. Thanks, Angel, our lady on the boards, for helping keep us together week after week. If you want to learn more about Resist Spot, if you would like to volunteer, if you would like to donate, you can go to resist.bot. If you are tired of just seeing bad news tweets with no call to action, with just and you're just perpetually doom scrolling, just remember and remind people that texting RESIST to 50409 starts a petition and gets you on the road to taking action. Or you can share a petition that you already like. And that's, that's something that, that I've really been doing. I saw a lot of talk about the boyfriend loophole, and I literally just went and looked and said, hmm, I wonder if RESISTBOT has a petition on that. And I kind of already knew it did, but that's basically what I look at. Like, this is what we can do about it. Instead of just talking about what needs to be done, here's one of the things that can help push it along. So it's one tool in your arsenal and we would love you if you use it. Plus, if you become one of our monthly donors, you get all kind of neat stuff. So go to resist.bot and learn more about that. I also want to thank our monthly donors. This week, we have Sarah from Columbus, Ohio, Tristan from Cleveland, Ohio, Andre from Bothell, Washington, and Jay from Santa Fe, New Mexico, who left the message, get money out of politics. So thank you all for joining us with the ResistBot family. Welcome. You can, if you're not watching us on our YouTube channel, which you can find at rs.bot slash video, you can subscribe to our podcast, which is rs.bot slash pod, or you can go to ResistBot Live and the podcasts go up every Monday. So for you can start off your week. If you miss us on Sunday, you can start off your week with a fresh Resist Spot Live episode. So I want to thank you all for joining us and I will see you next week. Resist Spot Live originally airs as a live stream every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, and is brought to you by the same folks behind the chatbot. If you haven't used ResistBot before, it's simple iPhone users, go to resist.bot on the web and tap the iMessage button. Non-iPhone users, open your text messaging app and compose a new text message. For the phone number, type 50409. In the message field, type resist or any of the keywords you heard on the show. You can also direct message resistbot on Twitter or the Telegram app. For a printable keyword guide and more resources, visit our website at resist.bot. Our website has a complete guide to creating robust public policy or voter turnout campaigns, and we're here to support your activism. Email support at resist.bot if you need help getting started. ResistBot is a nonprofit social welfare organization built by volunteers and supported by your donations. You can donate on our website or email volunteer at resist.bot if you want to join our team. ResistBot Live is moderated by Melanie Dion. Our regular panel includes Athena Foulet, Christine Liu, Susan Stutz, and Dr. Joseph Kuhill. Thank you for listening.